Welcome to this evening's episode of Atlantic Tales, when we'll hear from Tony Kirby, who left a permanent pensionable job after 18 years to become a full-time walking tour operator in the Burren. Tony Kirby is an award-winning professional walking tour guide based in the Burren in County Clare. Tony has also lived and worked overseas, enjoying his time learning about local culture and heritage. He established Heart of Burren Walks in 2002 after leaving his civil service job in Dublin. For eight busy months of the year, he leads small walking groups through one of Europe's most distinctive landscapes. I'm originally from Limerick City and uh, I studied languages at University College Dublin, got a university degree, never used it for economic gain. I became quite chance a public servant and I worked in the public service Dublin for about 17 years and 138 days. And in the middle of it all I got a career break and invoked an escape clause and lived in Bologna in north of Italy for about five years, loved the life down there. When I did come back to Dublin to resume my post of civil service, I decided to start doing guided walking tours of Dublin City in Italian. Niche product, high season, raking enough pocket money for my caffeine addiction, and Maria, on, on we went. But then I uh, met a woman, Emer, and between the two of us we had this idea, no connection with County Clare, she's Dublin, I'm Limerick, decided to come to move to the West and County Clare, North Clare for a new life. That was about 20 years ago. Effectively done with the civil service and decided to become full-time walking tours operator to uh, increase the whole thing a bit and try to, you know, go for broke and try to make a living out of walking tourism. And that was called, I think, Heart of Burden Walks and it's been trading 20 years. The first few years were aimless. I had no business acumen, didn't really uh, have the confidence to sell it. But I'm very lucky now that thankfully it's become a full-time occupation for me. Living in Dublin, a lot of history in Dublin obviously, Tony, but living in Bologna, a lot of history and culture there as well. But where did your interest in local history, wherever you were, where did that come from? Where did that curiosity come from? Yeah, good question, Pat. It, actually, what happened was when I was living in Italy, I used to get, you know, occasionally Italians would ask me questions about Ireland. And the more questions he asked me, the more I realised how little I knew. Uh, and I just, you know, decided when I came back to Dublin to start doing to start finding out a bit more about the city and its history through doing walking tours, you know, with other individuals. And that's where it started off and it ballooned from there. And now it's, uh, it's just a, a huge thing in my life, just passion and curiosity about heritage and history and the landscape around us, you know, the natural world and human history, you know. And was that a curiosity? Was that an interest growing up, knowing no. about your own local area and a lot of history in Limerick as well, of course? Yeah, yeah. And, and, no, it wasn't. And uh, I say it's only kind of uh, in the last, just over 20, the last 20 years or so, it's become a real interest of mine. and. Uh, uh, yeah, it's only kind of it's only it's, it's only the last twenty years or so. Leaving a pensionable job, you know, <laughs> permanent pensionable job, yeah. you know, no less. I, I suppose, yeah, I, I I I did it for seventeen, eighteen years, and you know, I I wasn't, you know, it was great life, very privileged to have, have a permanent pensionable post, and uh, made some great friends out of. It, but the job satisfaction wasn't there, like you know. And when I moved into this now, it's kind of like it, it's it's dreamlike to be working, you know out in the open place like the Burren, meeting people from different parts of the world and sharing a bit of passion and enthusiasm knowledge for, for, for the natural world here with these people. So it is kind of a very lucky to have for a living. You know, essentially what I'm doing, Pat, is I'm learning all the time and I'm getting paid. To, this is my university all around us here today. 
and the university fees they're being paid for it's really it's it's really quite 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 a, quite a nice number I, I think to have you could have of course decided to stay in Dublin do English speaking tours the Italian tours you could have gone possibly doing walking tours of Limerick but what was the big attraction of the burn? Yeah, well, it was. I think uh, it's over to Emer. It was Emer really decided that we would pick Clare in the west of Ireland. She decided to pick that, and. Uh, I, I, some people when they're on the tour so we said why did you pick Clare and I went back to him and said why did we pick Clare again and said the music just tell them the music you know but um, the Burren became an interest of mine in Dublin when I did a course to be a national tour guide before we came down here uh, uh, the, the, the lad facilitating the, the, the course had a mad passion and knowledge of the Burren and that was just before I came down, was and then it just took off from here, from there, you know. But uh, it, it's it's funny it ended up in Clare because like a lot of Limerick people, Clare was some place like you know that you went out to during the summer and uh, you know enjoyed the beautiful coastline. Day trips for me and to end up here again now with a completely different perspective. The person living here with a couple of kids is kind of interesting. The other thing that's interesting about it is that for me is in terms of my uh, you know relation with the county is that. Um, I was a bit vague about Clare and any connection to it, but uh, it's only latterly it's really sunk into me that my grandmother, my uh, father's mother, was from Renana in County Clare. In fact, Pat, Agnes McNamara is her name, died before I was born, and uh, their house, they, they had a house there in Renana, a uh, bit of good land, a bit of water meadow, and a cottage, and that was actually the first house uh, that was taken down bit by bit when Arita expanded the uh, runway and it was moved and it is uh, the first house in Bunratty Folk Park with McNamara name played on it so I suppose I have a, have a drop in me you know drop a bl- drop of clear blood in me. Going back to training the educating for being a tour guide how, how does that work? Well I suppose that, that's um, a national accredited scheme now when I was doing it, it was through Fort Ireland I think it may still be and you do about a, a year long about 50 days of course academic work if you want to call that in class and then practical work out in the field of guiding uh, so there's, 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 there's marks for the, the academic side of paperwork and there's marks then for the practical work of actually you guiding on sites you know uh, and it was a nice platform but to be honest, Pat, it was national. It was kind of almost very wide, and uh, and it was uh, it was probably more geared to coach guiding than walking tourism. So when it came down here, it was quite specific to Burren, uh, a very specific area, and quite specific to, that that it was walking. It was at a slow pace, and guiding on a bus as both guiding on foot is completely different discipline. Because guiding on a bus, you're going about 30, 40 kilometres out, often past sites which are very rich in, in story. And these places, like you're you're going very slowly, and you're into minutiae of maybe a tiny plant and that. So it's kind of um, it's, it's it's a bit more deep this kind of stuff. And certainly the the the, the thing I I would prefer the most, you know. That training gave you the feel for how it should be done. But the research and knowing the history, that's your own work. That's something you have to do yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're out on your own after that. And, you know, this landscape we're standing in this morning pad is, you know, we're in the middle of a kind of a beautiful limestone paved area in the, the Berlin Uplands. There's every ology up here. A to Z, archaeology, zoology, it's just world without end in terms of uh, of, 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 of detail, you know. And for me, I also to people, I, I don't know that much, but the thrill for me is learning something new all the time, learning new, 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 and just, uh, uh, you know, expanding my knowledge and realising that all these things are, they're, they're tied in together 
and in the end to make up one story, you know, the burden story. And that's my challenge when I'm bringing out people for walks here to try to touch on all these disciplines, but interlink them into one story that people go away and say, yes, that was no ordinary place, you know. The move to Clare then and you actually had to establish a business. It is actually a business you're setting up. Yeah, and that, that, that'd be the side of it that I'd be less interested in it. Like, I, I was, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm a micro entrepreneur, like, you know, that's, that, that, that's what I, 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 could, I, I could be, like, you know, but I would never call myself that, like, you know, I don't, re I don't really dwell in the business side and it, it doesn't interest me that much, even though it's the stuff that puts the bread on the table, yeah. but it has to be done, Pat, you know, I have to do the books, I have to make the tax returns, I have to promote the business, there's a, quite a bit of office work involved in this, and um, I, I think that's why the profile of walking tour guys generally in Ireland, uh, those that are involved in a self-employed basis, most of them would be part-time rather than full-time, like, you know, because uh, it's a bit of a leap to go full-time uh, and, uh, you know, just say, I'm going to have a crack at making a living out of it. A lot of, uh, the majority of the, 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 the walking tour operators would be part-time and have another business. And I can understand uh, that quite 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 well. But, you know, the fact is, uh, I have the good fortune that it's, it's an eight-month working year. It is an eight month season for me here and you try just to work hard in those eight months to get a, a 12 month living and yeah they, 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 I, 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 I have to be really you know strong and, uh, on, on the business side of it as well the office work and that the, it has to be done but the, the real excitement is out here meeting people and sharing a bit of a sharing a bit of love for the place you know. Coming down to the burn and doing your research was a lot of that the feet on the ground, with a lot of it done in a library, in books. How did you educate yourself about the burn? Yeah, uh, I'd say most of it was through books, you know, and the burn is really well served in terms of its library of books on every discipline here. You know, it's been great scholastic work done, still being done all the time. So a lot of it was reading, 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 and, you know, that, that'd, be, that'd be a big part of it. And then uh, it's kind of a, a part of it as well is just uh, asking other people questions, like, you know, just, you know, the, the, you know, the local people and, uh, you know, a lot of people here, like, who own the land here, work the land, they would have intimacy with it, that you, could, you know, knowledge of it that's not in books, so just, uh, you know, referring to them as well. So there's two strands, really. It's kind of the academic side, if you like, the research part, and then just, you know, uh, talking to local people and uh, getting asking them to share stories with me, you know. When you completed your initial research and doing your first tour, what was the time frame roughly? Oh, well, uh, I, I think um, to be, it's confession time. I think I just jumped into my first tour with not a lot of research done, like, you know. And, you know, I look back at 10 years ago, I even said, God, was my research at that level, like, you know. Uh, so it's, it's been incremental over 20 years, so I suppose the way I'm guiding now would be different than I was guiding five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And also the fact is, like, the, the world is changing, the world is evolving, so your story changes, you know, it's not just fixed research, you do your research, then you do your tour. The whole thing's evolving, the world is evolving, and uh, quite rapidly. And even the story of the burden is, is evolving a lot during my lifetime as well. So it's just, everything's in evolution in terms of research and coming in at different angles as you get older than that. The history of the burn, where it came from, it's hard to believe. I'm sure your clients on the tours are aghast when you tell them. Is it hard to explain that to people? And I'm just trying to imagine the look on their faces when you tell them the story. Yeah, like, like that, well, if, if you do it chronologically, you start with that. You start with the rock, obviously, the geology, earth science, and, uh, I, I like to throw in a bit of poetry on the walks as well, Pat, and one of the things I say to them is, I, I quote the line of poetry from Hugh MacDermott, the great Scottish poet, from the poem On a Raised Beach from the 1930s. 
And what McDermott wrote was, what happens to us is irrelevant to the world's geology. What happens to the geology is not irrelevant to us. We must reconcile ourselves to the stones, not the stones to us. So, yeah, they are. That's it's 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 a, it's, it's it's a great angle on the the, the story of the Burren that it is, uh, you know, a former shallow tropical ocean bed and is 350 million years old. And uh, also, I, I throw in just for the fact that it's actually a young rock. You know, I think the oldest rock in Ireland is kind of a. I think it's a, an uninhabited island off Donegal, it's about 1.2 billion years old. So it is a, our whole concept of time, you know, we're, we're dwarfed to nothingness almost by this story of earth science, yeah. Coming up, we'll hear more from Tony Kirby, who gave up a permanent pensionable job to become a full-time walking tour guide in the Burren. Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. Tony Kirby is an award-winning professional walking tour guide based in the Burren in County Clare. He leads small walking groups through one of Europe's most distinctive landscapes. The Burren is more than just a great slab of limestone pavement, however. There is so much more in the Burren. Very much so. Um, you, you know, I think the, it, it's of world consequence for the limestone pavement because it's rare global landform. Uh, it, what makes it so compelling scientifically is that the, the rock that's exposed here is limestone and uh, it's, it's chemically soluble by rainwater. And these kind of landscapes are rare and precious at world level. So geological level, very important internationally. But in terms of wildflowers, and this of course where the great ecological paradox comes along and the, 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 the Cistercians dedicated their abbey up at Kirk Road, the fertile rock, they captured this great ecological paradox very well. It's, it's a world consequence for rock as world consequence for flowers as well like you know and it's um, I think there's a man called Bob Gibbons 2011 he wrote a book called Wildflower Wonders of the World botanist botanical tour operator writer and he profiled in that book what he considered to be the top 50 botanical regions on earth and he said in my opinion the Burren County Clare Island is one of the 50 most important places in the world for wild plants so here you got it got geology you got botany exceedingly rich archaeological landscape the late great uh, Mapmaker and geographer Tim Robson described the burn as a vast memorial to bygone cultures. Like it's archaeologically very rich as well, and of course one of the greatest paradoxes that the, 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 about the burn and one of the things that's really fascinating about on top of all this is that part of the reason so much of the bedrocks exposed here is because of prehistoric agri vandalism. Glaciation did expose some of the, the erode some of the soil, expose some of the rock, but the other thing is the the excessive farming in prehistory eroded more of the soil, exposed more of the rock. So it's not a natural landscape at all, Pat. It's semi-natural, like, you know, it's, um, it's a semi-natural landscape. Robinson, again, the same writer, he, 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 he captured brilliantly in 10 words to burn. He said, the burden's austere beauty is due to millennia of abuse. It's partly man-made, this kind of eccentric looking landscape. Of course, man has also contributed significantly to the development of the Burren's landscape. We know from pollen and archaeological sources that the Burren limestone was cloaked in a mantle of light pine hazel woodland prior to the arrival of prehistoric settlers. Tenacious Stone Age farmers stripped back this skin of woodland to expose the skeleton of limestone bedrock beneath. People might find it hard to believe that the Burren was pretty much covered by trees. The island of Ireland was 95% forest before 
uh, after the last ice age. Now the Republic of Ireland is one of the most treeless countries of Europe, so where they all go, and most of it is cut down for farming purposes, and it's the same thing in the burden, even in these hills. The first farmers came here 6,000 years ago into Ireland when they uh, those who those of them who came to the burn in particular but they opted for the hills here rather than the valleys because the, the, the wood up here was softer it's mainly hazel and scots pine they cut the trees they burnt them and they started farming here on a kind of pretty enthusiastic scale because it was good all year round farming country then not now and 3,000 years ago this is 3,000 years after they started farming here with climate change in Ireland got to what it is today the climate wetter and windier and you can see out there exactly what happened loads more of the soil got eroded away and loads more of the bedrock of planet Earth got exposed to the atmosphere. So it's partly one of the most distinctive looking landscapes in Europe due to a natural phenomenon which is glaciation and partly due to something most unnatural that is, you know, uh, uber intensive farming in prehistory. You know, so it is a semi-natural landscape, it is not natural. And on the agriculture, we've talked about it on the programme in the past, the whole thing of the winterage, another uh, paradox, another very incredible story that we do it completely differently to other parts of the world but for a very good reason yeah so it, again uh, i think it was about that man bob gibbons the botanist uh, uh, he said it's the only region the burren in the cool temperate world where livestock are transferred to altitude in winter. Now, the cool temperate world is north of the Tropic of Cancer and south of the Arctic Circle. So in that vast chunk of Northern Hemisphere, these hills in which we're in today, Pat, are the only place where this process of a reverse transhumance takes place, where the, the cattle are put up to the hills in winter as opposed to the normal transhumance tradition, which is spring and summer. Uh, and the reason they're, they're put up here is, one is the, the limestone pavement. It's been said to be like, like five-star hotel underfloor heating for the cattle, the warm stone. And the second reason is, like, you can see the pasture around us. It hasn't been cut to pieces by the cattle because the, the, the soil type up here, the main soil type, is resistant to destruction by cattle. So farmer knows if you put some up here in winter, uh, they will not destroy his pasture. And this practice is going on. We do not know exactly how long this is going on, but it's a very rich and ancient tradition in, uh, uh, in these hills. Very unusual at world level. And we've only discovered through science over, during the last few decades that actually the cattle by coming here in winter have an intrinsic link with the wildflower extravagance in spring because they naturally fertilize the place with their dung as you can see all around us and the cattle are, are the, the flowers love that the, the small amount of fertilizer and it's natural they have great timing they're up in november gone in april time for the flower season and they slow down the advance of the scrub here uh, uh, which would of course you know uh, outshade these light loving plants so we just concluded now through science that the custodians of the heritage of these hills are actually the cows. And Tony, despite the fact that it is a massive limestone pavement, people lived here. People lived here for hundreds and hundreds of years and built four. So there is a lot of recent history. Yeah, it's it's been inhabited. Like, uh, like I, I think the archaeologists, they, they discovered the evidence of pre-farming civilization here. That is, you know, uh, Mesolithic. That is prior to the Stone Age farms of 6,000 years ago. We know there was pre-farming civilization here. In fact, their find at Fenor there, it was, the, it was the first find ever of pre-farming civilization in the County Clare, like a very important. So it's, been, it, it's, it's going, it, there's, there's been civilization here in these hills and far, farming going on uh, for 6,000 years, but even in pre-farming times, there was Mesolithic or hunter-gatherer people here. And the story goes on today. You see the, the evidence of it. You see the, all the, uh, the, the cow dung here. <coughs> so the cattle 
are up here now for the winter. And it's so the, the, the story of farming these hills is, is an unbroken continuum of six millennia, which is quite remarkable, you know. And in a, the noisy, chaotic, messy stage of civilization we're at, Pat, there's something, there's some, some beautiful continuum realizing here. You've seen like the icon of the Berlin Paulabron Dolmen from dated as far back perhaps as 5,800 years ago, prehistoric farmers. And then to see the cattle around us here in these hills in the 21st century is lovely continuum of 6,000 years of the exact same economic activity in these hills. Standing here, we're surrounded by a limestone pavement. Back here, there were some very uniform slabs, which you'd look at and then maybe walk away from, but there's actually history there. These are large slabs of stone. What's the background? Yeah, there? they're actually rectangular, rectangular in shape. Uh, they, each one of them weighs about 1,000 kilograms, one ton. They've been, there's been a quarry from which they've been carved out of the bedrock, they've been cut, they've been dressed. Really high quality masonry. And uh, those particular couple of slabs were, seem to have been abandoned en route from the quarry to the cemetery and remained underused. They, essentially, Paddy, you're talking about probably 1700s and you're talking about a uh, mortuary tradition of the elite in society. In this case, it was probably the O'Briens and these two slabs were destined for the O'Brien uh, plot in the Glen Columkill Cemetery in Carron and they never made it there. But these slabs are called ledger stones and they are, you know, uh, a very modish way for the middle classes and even above to uh, be buried in in the 1700s in Great Britain and Ireland and perhaps beyond as well. And it would have been beautiful artwork there on and lettering of the deceased as well. Uh, but also, of course, there are great insights into human history of Ireland at the time because this was only a tiny amount of percentage of the people here would have had the wherewithal to get buried under these monumental slabs. Uh, and it's, it, one could argue, amongst other things, they're, they're monuments to a profound inegalitarianism in Ireland in the 1700s, which was provoking famine, potato famine after potato famine. There's so much in the burn. What routes do you take? Because you can't get everything into one tour, presumably. No, like uh, the, the tours last about two and a half or from two to three hours. And I prefer three rather than two because, uh, you know, you, you, you have plenty of space and time to get in a lot of aspects of the, the story here. In terms of locations, I, I, I do a bit of walking up in Carron. Obviously, we've got the Burren National Park here, and we've got a couple of tra trails on the coast as well, and I really like to move around a bit because, um, you know, one of the challenges of being a tour guide is uh, if you say the same narrative in the same place every day, you know from doing tours yourself, you can pick out straight away a path, those who are just cheesed off and tired and have no appetite for the work anymore. But if you just push yourself to learn new things and maybe pick in different areas, go to different areas, and have different narratives in different areas, you keep yourself stimulated all the time. So the variety is very much key to just keeping the show on the road and keeping you just pumped up for it. <laughs> And would you have a selection of tour options? Do people come to you, Tony, and say, can you take me here and tell me this story? Yeah, it's, 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 it's unusual. It's a minority of people would get in touch and ask for a particular area to burn and to walk in or a particular theme, you know? Like I had a gentleman on to me the other day from England, uh, and this is one of the exceptions. He said to me, I am coming in May. I'm interested in a flower walk. I'm on my own. I want it to be a private walk and a particular incident two flowers uh, two orchids which are uh, particular to Ireland you can't find in the UK so obviously this man perhaps he's an orchid maniac you know uh, so and, and that's interesting get a particular that, that particular when you get a particular crest at that point that's kind of um, it's, it's interesting in that it's uh, a little bit more challenging for you you know uh, when, when people want to get deeper thematically into the, the into thing but it's I, I love that kind of challenge as well what did you tell him cards on the table now did you tell him I know where they are 
or are you looking for them still? <laughs> I was very careful with my use of English. I said, uh, they flower in the month of May, you're coming to May. Uh, I'm almost 100% certain that we'll, we'll, we'll find the two for you. <laughs> and that does sound like an unusual request. Uh, very much so, yeah, yeah. It would be. Most people would, uh, their request would be, you know, a walk in the barren, no specific place, no specific team, but coming from a base, they themselves say, of not knowing much about it, but really being interested in finding out what's all the excitement about this unusual landscape. And, and that's, 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 that, 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 that's a good thing in a way, like, you know, that, that you know, people coming from low base, but coming critically with an interest in the place and uh, all, all I am really Pat, is a storyteller like you know there's eight billion storytellers in the world and we all like the buzz of people listening to it and getting a kick out of a story and you know for me you're already kind of you know at an, a stage of advantage when people are coming here with the curiosity for it you, you, you know you have a foot in already in terms of kind of uh, having a great couple of hours with them. If you're out for a walk yourself or out on a tour, do you spot something new, something that you say, I'm going to check that out? Yeah, that, that happens all right. It definitely happens on occasion, you know, you just kind of, uh, you're walking by stuff a lot of time and then you go, oh, look at that. Or somebody might point out something to you, somebody in the walk. I learned, I, I forgot to say early on, yes, I learned from books, yes, I learned from uh, local people and farmers in particular. And yes, I also learned from people on the walks. They share information with me, they know things I don't. And then it does kind of things like they, um, um, ask me questions I don't know the answer to and I go out and go off and find out the answers later on so it's another great source of information and certainly on occasion they, they I, I might notice something but they might pick out something that I haven't and uh, that's that's just great like it's all in a wonderful game you know as you said this is your your university your classroom you're learning something new the whole story hasn't been told yet it hasn't been unearthed yet no I, I think um you know it, it, it is brilliant scholastic work being done in the barn the library is getting uh, you know uh, uh, bigger all the time but there's gaps in our information and there'll always be some gaps in information but um uh, the thing that needs to be most in the barn is kind of like things that the lesser built heritage and this is usually related to the, the poor people historically in the region it's less monumental it's not the big stone stone age tombs or the, the ring forts or the medieval tower houses it's things like holy wells maybe an unbaptized baby's burial grounds and th these are related to people that were you know on the very much on the margins of society and they tend to be very much less monumental these uh, structures and uh, these are kind of just give me an example a couple of things that are, would be less documented in this big story so all the time there is gaps in our information but stressing all the time the great work has been and continues to be done coming up we'll hear more about tony kirby's guided walking tours and why the controversial puka sculpture originally planned for ennis diamond is now more at home in the burren And of the 18 submissions received, the Puka of Ennestimon was the sculpture selected by an adjudication panel. A Puka or ghost can be a shape changer that can be a harbinger of good or bad fortune in Irish folklore. But that selection has been criticised locally with the piece being described as offensive and not something that says welcome to Ennestimon. Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. Limerick man Tony Kirby is an award-winning professional walking tour guide based in the Burren in County Clare. 
he left a permanent pensionable civil service job to pursue his dream of owning his own business and established Heart of Burren Walks in 2002. As Tony says, the Burren is his university and there is so much to the Burren than what can actually be seen in the unique landscape. The Burren is full of myths and folklore and the controversial Puka sculpture, originally planned for Ennis Diamond, is actually more at home in Karen in the Burren. The Puka was kind of a, a solitary, supernatural kind of a shapeshifter. He could come, he could reinvent himself as a dog, most commonly a horse, but other animals as well. And he was a lone operator and he operated at night and usually kind of uh, it was lone travellers he targeted. Now he was mischievous, he could do good things, but uh, because he was so unpredictable and because he could kind of target lone traveller, take him up on his back, bring him on a hell of a ride, and then bring him back to base, kind of uh, totally kind of exhausted and terrified the poor, tra poor traveller or lone person in the countryside at night. Um, he was kind of, he'd knock dry stone walls, he would kind of um, attack crops, much feared and respected in the past. But a critical thing about the puka, uh, Pat is that he operated in lonely, kind of isolated, weird places. He didn't operate in towns. He didn't operate in nuclear settlements. So, you know, in a way, um, it was amazing the story as it went that um, that uh, the arts in Gaden Hart was I think his name is Hart um, came up with the, the, the idea of the puka based on the tender for Clary County Council for Ennis Diamond, but then this. Almighty rack broke out and he ended up quite by chance in a way he ended up coming home because he's now in the town he's Michael Cusick Centre but uh, in, in Karen here but critically isn't it that is in the town of the Paula Fuca where there was strong belief in the past and you know as recently as up to 100 years ago, if not yeah, uh, in, in this area, of the Puka operating in that valley there, in the, kind of a, in, in the valley of Paolo Fuca. So it was folk belief pertaining to him where he ended up, and it's great in the sense that he, it was a long rack about him going a short distance, but it's great he ended up where he did, I think. I take it, Tony, on your tours you see this. We've had, I think, three of the four seasons so far <laughs> today. The sun's coming back out again here in the burn. Are there other myths, stories, historical stories, spooky stories about the burn as well. Yeah, it's 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 a very rich uh, mythological landscape, and it's a very rich landscape in terms of uh, folklore as well. And um, a great source of information on the folklore of the burn is, of course, Pat the school's collection, 1937, 1938, kind of half a million manuscript pages, uh, commissioned by the the leader of the country, Tyler M. Davalier, a radical notion of uh, kids in older kids in primary school going out to their elders and asked them just a questionnaire about rural customs, straddling all sorts of rural customs, including folk belief and folklore. And one of the ones I, I like in particular from, from, from the folklore scheme related to um, a couple of hills in the burn is that um, there's two huge cairns on two hills on the burn. One's on Steve Caron and the one's on the hill opposite, intervisibility enjoys with it and it's Turlock Hill. And they're made of tons and tons of loose stone, these prehistoric tombs. Uh, but the belief in the past in areas like this was that these tombs were actually, you know, to call them heaps of stones, you know. And it folklore pertained to them, not science that tells us these are archaeological monuments, but folk belief pertained. And every one of these monuments has a name. And the one top of Steve Cairn is called Cairnbown, the Death Cairn. And the story goes, thanks to the folklore scheme, uh, 37, 38, that there's two women. And each, each of them lived at one of the hilltops. 
and one of them took out a fag, a cigarette to smoke, on the top of one hill. The other one shot over and says, give us a drag. You one over declined to give her a drag, and the one that was refused a puff of the cigarette, she started firing stones over at your one on the other hill, and the other one started firing stones back. And thus, <laughs> the two cairns are in honour of those two women. And in the late 30s, in the folklore scheme, it said, and they're, you know, and they're there in their memory still. So it's great kind of, you know, did you representation these monuments have, archaeology, science, and folk belief as well. In terms of the ongoing research, we have Dr. Eamon Doyle doing the geology of the burn, Dr. Brendan Dunford and his team, we have archaeologists, Elena, Michael Lynch and a few others, people still gathering information. How important, Tony, do you believe that this information is gathered and then that people like yourself and those others I mentioned are disseminating it, are telling the stories? Yeah, it's, it's hugely important and all the people you mentioned there, like uh, Eamon and the geologists and Brendan with the Farm for Conservation and Elaine and Michael, uh, the archaeology side, it's great, and, and there's a lot of like you know good relations between all these people. Uh, it's 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 very important because it's uh, it's 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 for us, but it's also for posterity. Like you know, the, just the mosaic is being completed all the time of the story of the burn, and say so it's interdisciplinary. Like you know, so the archaeology feeds into the geology, feeds into the farming, and the stories all the time. Bits of the jigs are being put in place by these people, making it a, a richer, uh, richer more fascinating story and, and a story that we even ourselves didn't appreciate is uh, almost one without limits so it, it does phenomenal work being done on the scientific front and of course there's phenomenal work being done by the farms as well by this you know ancient practice of sustainable farm the hills in winter which is preserving a lot of the geology botany and archaeology so does I like it, 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 one of the things that's very pleasing is this great uh, relationship between the scientists and the farmers here preserving all of this wealth of heritage. Let's talk, if we can, Tony, about the amount of structure. Some unearthed, some very visible, some not so visible, but across the whole burn landscape, from ring force to monasteries to churches, there is an amount of built heritage here. Yeah, it's, as we said, an exceedingly rich archaeological landscape. Uh, I think it's reckoned there's about 2,000 recorded, protected under law, archaeological monuments in, in, in the Berlin, like it's 200 square miles. So it's, it's um, it, it, the question is why, why is it so rich archeologically? And one is uh, ready availability of stone. The second is its durability as a substance. And the fact that in the these uplands that we're in today is the machine never really got up here or, you know, uber intensive modern farming to deplete this archeological patrimony. So for those reasons, extremely rich archeologically, we've, um, the, the highest concentration of ecclesiastical sites, you know, uh, per area in Ireland here. Uh, we've got about uh, 45 holy wells, 21 medieval castles, 450 ring forts, uh, and about 90 prehistoric tombs. Just to give you some examples of the, the richness of the, the archaeological legacy here. It's quite astounding. So you have to know the story behind all of these because if someone rings you and says, Tony, I want to go to Corkham Row or Temple Cronin or Liz Moher, you either know about it or you'll find out about it. Have you been to most of these sites, by the way? Yeah, I have. But like uh, the, the ones you mentioned, like um, uh, Corkham Row, it's not really on a, a walking trail. So it's something you'd visit by car. So occasionally, very occasionally, I would go to Corkham Row and interpret that for people. But most of my walks would be interpreting monuments on trails in, in the region. But Corpon Row might get a mention, of course, because it's so significant in terms of the, the, the medieval story of the Burren, yeah. The limestone of the Burren has had an eventful evolution. 
Tectonic, glacial, solutional, and cultural forces all played a part, each one contributing to the unique glaciated karst geology so celebrated today. The result is something truly special. When you take a walk through this petrified carboniferous seabed with its frayed skin of thin Renzina soil, you are aware that no two steps are the same, that each and every rock, terrace, and pavement is unique and irreplaceable. Limestone pavement is today considered a rare habitat and is a priority for protection under the European Habitats Directive. Most of the burn is today legally protected as a special area of conservation. I'm curious to know how you managed during COVID. Uh, badly, you know, <laughs> like, like a lot of other people. I think uh, tourism at a world level, at a world level just collapsed and uh, I think in 2020 it was, uh, my business down 85%, you know. But funny enough, I was talking to somebody uh, on the phone and uh, some operator around here whose business is exclusively accommodation and exclusively Americans. And uh, I said, my business down 85%. And he said, is that all? Because the 15% got in 2020 was Irish. They were let out for a bit, but his business is 100% money, so he was 100% down. In 2021, it was about 50% down, which was kind of, uh, you know, you come from perspective being 85% down to 50% down, you're going, I never thought I'd see today when I'd say be happy about business being 50% down. And then, of course, you come to 2022, uh, and, uh, you know, it was a phenomenal year in tourism in Ireland for for me and for for people in general and it was kind of a you know you're 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 back almost where you were so it was yeah it was kind of a it was kind of challenging two years in terms of the business but to be honest like the perspective is it was you know uh it, it, it you know you get when you have a thing like a a virus raging the world and raging through people i think things like uh you know uh your self-employment that they, they 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 become less important all of a sudden there, there are bigger issues at play in this world of ours you know also on the website you can click on a link that says virtual tour what's the virtual tour all about yeah that, that, that was the thing that came about during covid at a world level some people uh, because they couldn't get the people physically in situ they started doing uh, guided tours virtually so it was great like you know you, you could pop on of an evening even though you were in your own house you couldn't even hardly get out or go two or five kilometers that and you could all of a sudden be in Shoreditch in London paying a fella t t t t 10 euro pop and this fella guiding you around Shoreditch in London like you know just walking to a Shoreditch fascinating stuff or Venice or whatever and I decided just to do a little bit myself I did a couple I should have done much more Pat but I did a couple of virtual tours at Burning in the month of May in 2021 and it was the burning and bloom and you know people were just keen in from all over the world it was, it, was, it was really interesting because it was a different perspective things one it meant that people who were like for example incapacitated just people that are incapacitated that can't walk the burn with me and it's denied to them because of uh, and you know they can reach me and do a tour of the burn for that um, people who never come here in their lives they might never come here were keying in that day and got to see the burn live and the wildflower extravaganza and of course fascinatingly it was carbon zero it was carbon zero yeah. like you know my my walks people perceive my walks being green ecological that but they have a significant carbon impact because most here arrived by airplanes and cars to me you know there, there was a woman from long island she got in touch with me after the walk and she emailed me said oh, tony really got a kick out of that i was actually 
my son and my husband were driving to Long Island. I was going to see my daughter there and my my my, my grandson, and uh, I just had a tablet on, a tablet on the passenger seat of the car, and I just I couldn't believe that that one could have a global reach uh, through uh, being up a hillside with a little kind of gadget. You know. Not only are you a professional walking tour guide, you're an author as well. You have written at least one that I know of. Presumably, there's more. I, in the I am a one book wonder. Pat, but I just realised one thing I learned from writing one book is that if you write one book, um, some people go, "Oh, your man's written loads of books," you know. It, it becomes <laughs> plural, but unfortunately, it's not plural. I've only written one. It was 2009. It's called "The Burn the Iron Islands: A Walking Guide," and it's 18 trails in the burn. Just describe what you see as you walk along them, uh, and um, it's got illust- 20 sublime illustrations by great artists Bally Vaughan, Carlos Cassine. It's got photographs, maps, and a line of great Irish poetry at the beginning of each chapter. And it, it was it was Collins Press. It was the Collins Press small family-run uh, publishing house in Cork. They approached me. It was their idea, not mine. And they were a joy to work with uh, the Collins Press. Uh, it was taken over uh, by Gill, which is obviously one of the biggest players in Ireland. And I've had a very good experience with Gill as well. And like you know, so that was '09. We're now at 2023. 14 years, years later, it's still you know moving still going off the bookshelf so it's been a great spin with that like you know when does your season start then tony i think generally the the, the tourist season in uh, in north clare and the berlin it varies in place to place within ireland obviously the season but generally it's about march to october like inclusive you know um so that'll be the season now for me it's really march wouldn't be that busy but from april onwards to october that's i think that's seven months you're busy for those seven months and then you knock a month out of the other five months to make, you know, between you know, all the days put together to get an eight-month working year. But you're talking about March slash April to October inclusive. That's that 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 that'll be the, the season here. Is there a particular trail or walk that's most popular? Uh, well, the Burren National Park is extremely popular. Uh, uh, the current part of it, which is very near us here, uh, would be less popular, uh, and that's not a bad thing. But the more popular area, clearly Mullockmore is the the big squeeze in the Berlin, like you know, and that area of national park is can be quite busy, you know. Given that we have such a wonderful resource, it's a geopark, so it's recognised internationally as well. Are we good at minding what is a very it's an invaluable resource? I think we're fortunate enough in the Berlin, like in in terms of minding it, you know. Uh, I, I think like the the designation like like most of the Berlin Hills are special areas conservation under European Union environmental law so they 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 have a legal designation and um, uh, they, they they generally and again it's, it, you know emphasizing that the, the farming practice here in these hills you know cutting edge 21st century sustainable farming and there's a real balance between man and nature as a result on these hills as a result of that um in terms of in terms of republic of ireland in general i suppose you know tourism is such a such a significant industry here uh, we we have to be careful all the time pat of striking a balance between uh you know, attracting people in here to, for our heritage uh, uh, and uh, landscape and straighten a balance between that and not suffering from this international phenomenon which is called touristification, which you have in places like Barcelona and Venice and Santorini. There is an element of it here and we just, you know, it's not a big element in the tourist industry, but we've got to be very careful about that, that you don't destroy the very thing you're attracting people to see. It was a wonderful walk. Fantastic walk. Tony was able to give us a very nice history of not only the area and the region, but also man's impact on the region. The flowers. The flowers, wildlife. It's very, very interesting.
this was, you can tell. Informative. Informative, and you can tell it's a labor of love for him. One other very important element about a walking tour is being prepared. If you're going out onto the burn, people have to be prepared. Yeah, like it is a, it is a rugged landscape, and um, like I, I, I always advocate, like, uh, you know, my emails say ankle sporting walking boots, you know, uh, because it is a really rugged landscape and that's the most important thing of all, like, you know, obviously waterproofs, things like water, leggings even, but, you know, and it varies the time of year, you could, like, last year, we were up at nearly 30 degrees centigrade and I was saying water, sun cream, hats, the whole lot, but then in the other type of weather, you obviously have the, the wet gear, but the most important thing for me is the foot footwear, and you can't have it all the time, like, you know, because people come from the United States of America, they don't bring ankle sport and walking shoes, but if you say, like, you know, baseline is that, and at least you come with really good, sensible, tough shoes, appropriate footwear, that's the most important thing in this region in terms of anyone coming walking here.